What's happening, food eaters? This is Mel Weinstein, host of the Food Labels Revealed podcast and the self-professed prophet of processed foods. This is episode number 34 in the monthly series. This is another show devoted to recent news stories popping up in 2018. I finally got around to addressing genetically modified organisms in our food supply and what our federal government is doing about them. Then I cover some stories about toxins in processed foods and why the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, changed its mind about the safety of some of the common additives in beverages, ice creams, candy, and baked goods. For newcomers to the podcast, here's some information about me. I have a 30-plus year background in chemistry education, food testing, and food chemical research. And for much of that time, I've had a fascination, some may call it a brain fixation, with processed foods, what's in those foods, and how they may be affecting our health. I look behind the commercial food curtain at all of those strange, hard-to-pronounce, and sometimes dangerous ingredients that wind up in many of the foods stocked on the shelves of our grocery stores. This is a 100% free, on-demand radio show. Just put that money back in your wallet. This podcast has no sponsors, financial supporters, or Kickstarter campaigns. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are mine, and to keep it that way, I don't work with any business, commercial product, or sponsoring organization. All I ask of you is to listen, and if you are informed, educated, or entertained by the content, please let others know through social media or the old-fashioned way. Just word of mouth. Website and contact information will be provided at the end of the show. Well, let's get this episode on the road. I do enjoy doing news shows every once in a while. Although they are not as in-depth and and research-based as other shows, it's good to pause to see what's happening in the processed food industry. I subscribe to a news feed that sends me hundreds of articles each week. After sifting through them, I select some for the Facebook page and others for the podcast. If you haven't been to the Facebook page, search under the name Food Labels Revealed Podcast. There you can like the page and then you should start seeing the posts I put up a few times each week in your news feed. Here are the news topics I've selected for today's show. 1. GMOs. 2. Little known food toxins. And 3. Newly banned food additives. Let's start things off with GMOs. Most people by now recognize that acronym, which stands for Genetically Modified Organisms. In the two and a half years that I've been doing this podcast, I've kind of avoided this topic. I've mentioned it a few times in passing, but never went into any detail about it. It's just too complicated because it involves biology, biochemistry, agricultural sciences, seed production by mega companies, farmers, politics, and it's a national controversy. In terms of the scientific elements of GMOs, Most people are not educated enough to understand what genetically modified organisms are, how they are made, and how they work in agricultural crops. It's a difficult subject to talk about, yet GMOs impact pretty much every aspect of the processed food industry and also affect some non-processed foods. 
So now it's a good time to talk about them because not too long ago, the American government passed a law mandating that food manufacturers who use GMOs in their products must label them as such. The law goes into effect in 2020, which is coming right up. I've got a little personal history with GMOs. In the mid-90s, I was working for a company that processed corn. During that time, several biotechnology companies, with Monsanto being the most infamous, started to introduce genetically modified strains of corn and soybeans into the marketplace. Although the technology had been under development since the early 1980s, the ag industry was really unprepared for this new technology. The company that I worked for was concerned about whether their customers, using the products made from the bioengineered corn and soybeans, would balk at buying them. Once word got out to the public after the fact, the controversy about these new types of crops got heated. Some people called them frankenfoods, suggesting that scientists were tinkering at the very basic DNA level with the very nature of the foods that people and animals had been eating for tens of thousands of years. Like everyone else in the processed food industry, my company was caught by surprise and was unprepared to deal with this major revolution in crop production. For the last 150 years, food crops were modified through hybridization, that is breeding, not through manipulation of the plant genomes. As an analytical chemist, I was tasked to learn about GMOs and how corn and soybeans could be tested for their presence. After all, two kernels of corn, one genetically modified and one not, could not be distinguished visually, not even under the best of microscopes. The only way they could be identified as GMO or non-GMO was by some very complicated and expensive DNA tests, and at that time only a few labs in the world were equipped to conduct those tests. The problem that my company faced was that there were farmers who were now raising both kinds of corn crops, GMO and non-GMO, and they needed a way to test those crops so they could guarantee to their customers that the manufactured products were either modified or not. It's even more complicated than that, but I won't take the time to go into detail here. The reason that Monsanto and other companies focused their innovations on corn and soybeans was because those were the biggest agricultural crops in the United States, and they could get the biggest bang for their buck by influencing and eventually controlling the seed production for those crops. So, in the mid-1990s, I immersed myself in the science of GMOs, and with a very short learning curve, I learned about the technology, at least to the extent that I could speak the language. As I said, the technology behind GMOs is complex. In 2014, I wrote a series of three articles for a local online magazine, essentially summarizing the controversies around GMOs. I will read an excerpt from the first article, which was entitled, We Are Immersed in a Sea of GMOs. Links to these articles will be posted in the show notes for anybody interested in reading the full story. Quote, this is from the first article. Have you noticed lately how much the topic of genetically modified organisms has been in the news lately? Many people, 
in the United States have just begun to wake up to the major shift that has occurred in their food supply since the mid-1990s. Yes, GMOs have been around that long and have slowly and quietly infiltrated the food supply through a low-key but effective cooperation between our federal government, biotechnology companies, and producers, that is farmers. This infiltration has primarily been accomplished through the planting of GMO corn, BT varieties that contain genes that produce an insecticide that kills destructive worms, and GMO soy, plants that contain genes to protect them from being killed off by the herbicide Roundup Ready. In Illinois, we are immersed in a sea of GMOs. The percentage of these crops in our area went from zero in the mid-1990s to over 90% today. The GMO soy and corn crops went where they have always gone, grain processing companies, where they were refined in the hundreds of food products that wound up in tens of thousands of packaged goods found on grocery store shelves as well as in livestock feeds. Some of these consumer products include cornstarch, corn oil, maltodextrin, corn syrups, for example, high fructose corn syrup, fructose, corn syrup solids, soy oil, soy meal, soy flour, texturized vegetable protein, lecithin, soy milk, and tofu. These two commodity foods, soy and corn, and their byproducts are so ubiquitous in our food supply that it is difficult to pick up a packaged food in the grocery store that does not contain some form of corn or soy or both in the ingredient list. Only if the product is organic can we know that it is GMO-free. GMO crops are not limited to soy and corn. Some other major crops that are genetically modified include cotton, papaya, sugar beets, and soon-to-be-approved potatoes. Fortunately, our government has not yet given approval for GMO wheat, which was poised to hit the market just a few years ago. So, that begs the question, are genetically engineered foods safe? If they are not, the majority of our population is getting hefty doses of these foods in their diets. That is why GMOs are all over the news lately. Grassroots efforts in over 20 states seek to require food manufacturers to label packages to inform consumers whether their products contain GMOs. That change would at least give consumers a choice when purchasing foods at the grocery store. In recent years, ballot initiatives were introduced in major states such as California, Washington, Colorado, and Oregon. The election results in Oregon this month, which was November 2014, were so close that a recount will likely occur. End of quote from that article. As you can tell, the subject of GMOs in our food system got a bunch of people upset, and the federal government was really not paying attention. Why? Because as far as the Federal Drug Administration, the FDA, was concerned, the new corn and soybeans were essentially nutritionally equivalent to the old hybrid corn and soybeans based upon standard tests. So why should they require a special designation for them on food packaging? 
Here's what naysayers were concerned about. The genetically engineered corn and soybeans had foreign DNA in them, which expressed new proteins that humans had not been exposed to before. Since all allergies are triggered by proteins, there was a concern that the new GMO proteins would cause adverse health reactions. A secondary concern was the idea that consumers should be given a choice about whether they wanted to eat foods that were genetically engineered or not. So, the battle raged between people in opposition to GMOs in food and the biotechnology companies who are claiming that GMOs could solve the world's hunger problem and remedy nutritional deficiencies. Here's a propaganda ad produced in the early 2000s by the Council of Biotechnology, an advocacy group for Monsanto and other biotech companies to influence the public in favor of GMO crops. This is my report. What is biotechnology? For centuries, farmers select the best seeds to help improve your crops. Today, biotechnology is helping farmers spray less and still keep pests away. And they're able to grow more food. To be a hungry world. So more kids everywhere, 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 everywhere can grow big and strong. Biotechnology, making a difference for people and for our world. Well, that was some cheery propaganda, wasn't it? They use kids to bring home the good news about bioengineering of food. Food manufacturers became alarmed that states were individually mandating the labeling of GMO foods, which would greatly disrupt commerce, causing them to market to individual states, thus costing them large sums of money. So, they decided to lobby Congress to create a federal law to deal with this issue. That brings me back to the news stories I want to highlight. From Lexology.com came the news story in June entitled, USDA Proposes National Bioengineered Food Labeling Disclosure Rules. In 2014, the Safe and Accurate Food Labeling Act was passed to cover food containing GMO ingredients. The opponents to this law called it the Dark Act, which stood for Deny Americans the Right to Know. After the law was passed, The United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA, was given the job of writing a national standard, which they finally issued on May 2018. The standard would only apply to large food manufacturers. Exempted were restaurants and foods that had organic certifications, which is an oxymoron since organic foods by definition are not genetically modified. The website JD Supra published a story in December 2018 entitled USDA Publishes Final Rule Establishing GMO Disclosure Requirements. Finally, by December 20th, after a review period for public comments, the USDA USDA did issue the final ruling. It's interesting to note that the federal standard does not use the phrase genetically modified organism, which is strongly associated with the 20-year-old heated controversy, but instead uses the phrase bioengineered, or BE for short. In order to be listed on the label, the concentration of BE in any ingredient must exceed 5%. Any highly processed foods, such as corn syrup and vegetable oils, even though they came strictly from GMO crops, are exempt from labeling since the GMO levels are undetectable by conventional tests. Also, 
All animal feeds, even though they may be 100% GMO, are also exempt. So how will the labeling work? Food companies have a choice between four different labeling protocols for BE disclosure. Here they are. 1. They can use text on the label. 2. They could print a digital disclosure, like a QR code. 3. Consumers can inquire by text message. Or 4. They can use, the companies can use a USDA-approved symbol. Do you see a problem with these choices? What if instead of GMOs, we were talking about the presence of peanuts? People with peanut allergies would want to know if peanuts were present in the food product. However, a food manufacturer could create a QR code for the presence of peanuts where a consumer would need a smartphone and take their personal time to link to a manufacturer's web page or they could send a text message and wait for a response. That is certainly not convenient when shopping in your local grocery or convenience store. So the federal government, by passing this GMO labeling law, did not make it particularly easy to check on the GMO content of commercial foods. The law takes effect in January 2020 for small manufacturers with full compliance by all companies in January 2022. If you would like to develop a good headache, I'll provide a link to the GMO labeling law in the show notes. Next up in the news is the subject of food toxins. There have been a number of articles in 2018 dealing with that subject. Of course, that topic is a downer because who wants to find out that the food that they've been loving contain poisons? I'd rather talk about something more cheerful, but that's the nature of the beast. As long as we eat processed foods that have been chemically and physically manipulated to be very distant cousins from foods in their natural states, we will continually get exposed to toxic ingredients. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. From Healthline.com comes a story entitled, Why Dining Out Can Increase Your Exposure to Hormone-Disrupting Chemicals. There are a number of chemicals that could contaminate foods that are classified as hormone disruptors. Specifically, the article addresses the class of chemicals called phthalates. The story cites research conducted at the University of California at Berkeley and two other institutions where people who ate more meals at restaurants and cafeterias had nearly 35% higher levels of phthalates in their urine than people who ate mostly grocery store food. Teens are particularly susceptible since they eat out more frequently in fast food places. They had 55% higher endocrine disruptors compared with peers who ate at home. Caroline Apovian, a professor of medicine in the endocrinology department at Boston University School of Medicine, says, quote, Endocrine disrupting chemicals have been purported to have caused the obesity epidemic, fertility problems, and a host of other ailments that seem to be increasing with our consumption of processed and mass-handled foods like fast food, end quote. Also, phthalates may interfere with the body's endocrine system, producing adverse developmental, reproductive, neurological, and immune effects in humans and animals. However, the health effects from low-level exposure is unknown in humans, and more research is needed. 
Studies of animals suggest that there may be associations between phthalate ingestion and lower IQ, higher risk of diabetes in women, higher risk of asthma, lower quality sperm in men, and breast cancer. Hormones are known to act at very low concentrations, so hormone-mimicking substances like phthalates could be toxic at those low levels. It saddens me to report this next item because most people love microwave popcorn. Just the odor of it wafting through a room can turn heads and cause people's mouths to water. But that's where the toxin is, in the odor. Those microwave popcorn brands with artificial butter flavoring are the offenders. Way back in 2004, the CDC, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, reported cases of bronchiolitis obliterans, now known as popcorn lung, in workers at a microwave popcorn plant in Missouri. Inhaling the artificial butter compound called diacetyl contributed to the development of the disease. Diacetyl is a naturally occurring chemical in the coffee roasting process, but it can also be artificially created for use in foods and beverages to mimic the creamy taste of butter. According to the FDA, diacetyl is safe when consumed in trace amounts, but inhalation is harmful. The lungs become scarred and restricted when the chemical gets into the smallest airways, alveoli, and the disease can become life-threatening and untreatable. Just imagine dying from working in a microwave popcorn plant. Well, the popcorn manufacturers didn't like that outcome, so they phased out diacetyl and replaced it with a similar buttery-tasting compound called 2,3-pentanedione, known as PD for short. Well, it turns out that this compound is also hazardous following the revelations of several rat studies. I reference an article in ScienceDaily.com entitled, Butter Flavoring Ingredient in Microwave Popcorn Thought Safe for Food Industry Workers is a Respiratory Hazard. That's quite a title. Interestingly, PD is a natural substance found in papayas and scotch pines. So be careful not to oversmell your papayas. Sadly, the aforementioned compounds, since they smell so good, are also used in e-cigarettes or vaporing devices. At this time, there are no studies to show that there are harmful effects of these compounds when humans occasionally ingest them in foods or e-cigarettes. But I wouldn't be surprised if someday the FDA bans their use entirely. Here's the last item on toxins. Again, primarily kids are at risk. In October 2018, a Fox affiliate in Cleveland published a story entitled Dozens More Breakfast Foods Test Positive for Trace Amounts of Weed Killer. The weed killer in question here is Roundup Ready, also called glyphosate. Originally marketed by Monsanto, but now manufactured by the Bayer Company, think aspirin, this was the go-to herbicide for soybeans and other crops to kill annoying weeds. Remember the genetically modified soybean mentioned earlier? It was developed to resist being killed by this herbicide. Last summer, in a court trial in San Francisco, 
Monsanto was ordered to pay $289 million in damages to a school groundskeeper who argued that his cancer was caused by frequent exposure to glyphosate. Later, under appeal, the damages were reduced to only $78 million. That's still a goodly sum. The World Health Organization, the WHO, announced in 2015 that glyphosate is probably carcinogenic to humans, but stepped back that claim a bit later, stating that contamination in food was likely not a cause of cancer. Getting back to the Fox News story, it stated that the Environmental Working Group, an organization that advocates for organic foods and publishes the dirty dozen list of produce with the highest amounts of pesticides, found that 26 of the 28 cereals it tested had measurable levels of glyphosate. These levels were below federal and state standards which was strongly pointed out by Quaker Oats and General Mills. A representative of General Mills stated that, quote, most crops grown in fields use some form of pesticides and trace amounts are found in the majority of food we all eat, unquote. That should make everybody feel better. Dr. Sarah Evans, an assistant professor at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, was quoted as saying, I think it's very important for people to realize how widespread exposure to glyphosate is. There are things in the foods that they purchase that aren't listed on the label and that they probably don't want to be giving to their children. I don't think that people should become hysterical, but people need to be really aware of where their food is coming from and what's getting into their foods. My last news report concerns the Trustworthy Food and Drug Administration, the federal agency part of the Department of Health and Human Services, which is responsible for approving, regulating, and enforcing which substances can be used as food ingredients and additives. The October 2018 story was published by WTNH, a TV station in New Haven, Connecticut, affiliated with CNN, And the story was entitled, FDA Revokes Use of Seven Food Additives. Yes, the FDA, from time to time, does change its mind about food additives that it approved years ago, in this case over 54 years, based on new medical research. Many of the additives that typically get yanked from the approved list are artificial colors and flavorings. In this case, six of the seven banned substances are flavorings and can initiate cancer in two species of lab animals. However, the FDA administrators were given a bit of a push by a petition and a lawsuit. Outside pressure to protect public safety sometimes works. That's important because you would never, ever know that you were ingesting these substances. The FDA allows food manufacturers to just list flavorings as either natural or artificial without actually naming them. As I've mentioned numerous times on this podcast, that is one of my biggest pet peeves, the inability to know what you're putting in your body when you consume a processed food. So what are the newly banned substances? I'll just read them off quickly so I can use my rusty chemical language skills. 1. Benzophenone. 2. Ethyl acrylate. 3. Eugenyl 
methyl ether, 4, myrcene, 5, pulgon, 6, pyridin. Companies that use these six additives will have 24 months to identify suitable replacements in food products. So be careful what you eat for the next two years. The FDA did note that the six flavorings are used in very small amounts and do not pose a risk to public health under the conditions of their intended use. By the way, the FDA is mandated to delist any food additive that is shown to cause cancer. I will turn to my trusty food additive handbook to look into the uses of those six flavorings. In earlier shows, I mentioned the book, A Consumer's Dictionary of Food Additives by Ruth Winter. And I highly recommend this book to listeners who have more than a curious interest in processed foods. All of these flavorings have found use in beverages, ice creams, candy, baked goods, and sometimes in chewing gums and jellies. Benzophenone is used in berry, butter, fruit, apricot, peach, nut, and vanilla, vanilla flavorings. Ethyl acrylate occurs naturally in pineapples and raspberries. It's used in fruit, liquor, and rum flavorings. This chemical was first discovered to be a carcinogen in 1986, but it was put back on the list in 2000 when the FDA decided that the doses given to lab animals were higher than what a typical human would consume. Next comes eugenyl methyl ether, which is used in flavorings for raspberry, strawberry, clove, and ginger. Then there's myrcene, a natural flavoring that occurs in pimento oil, orange oil, rose oil, and hops oil. It mimics fruit, root beer, and coriander flavors. Previously, it had been found to cause birth defects in laboratory animals. Then we have pulgon, naturally found in pennyroyal. Its smell is a cross between camphor and peppermint, so logically it's used as a peppermint flavoring. It was already known to have toxic effects on the liver and lungs. Finally, there's pyridin. As a chemist, I periodically worked with pure pyridin as a solvent for chemicals. It's one of the most foul-smelling substances that I've ever encountered, and if I had inadvertently got a little bit on my skin, it would take days to get rid of the odor. It occurs naturally in coffee and cold tar. It's used in chocolate flavorings, of all things. Small oral doses in humans have caused loss of appetite, nausea, fatigue, and mental depression. The seventh banned substance is not a flavoring. It's styrene. It was delisted since manufacturers no longer use it in foods. At one time, it was used in chewing gums and could cause irritation to the eyes and mucous membranes. A cousin of styrene, polystyrene, was one of the first synthetic rubbers used in tire making. Well, it's time to summarize and mention the take-home messages for today's episode. Of course, the main message has to do with our health. Avoid toxins whenever possible. Realistically, in our modern society, that's really impossible. Toxins are all around us. In the air, in the water, in the food, in stuff we use, like plastics, in our workplaces. Sometimes by our own actions, we can avoid them, like watching what we eat and drinking clean water. 
For example, I primarily drink distilled water, but we get exposed to many toxins just from living in our environment. As regards serious diseases like cancer, we can minimize the risks but can't entirely eliminate them. Even if we could live in a pristine environment, we still have genetic propensities. However, most geneticists think that the presence of cancer-causing genes in our bodies only account for 5 to 15 percent of cancer risk. The remaining risk comes externally from our environment. And even the genetic risk usually requires some environmental trigger to initiate the cancer process. So, what are we to do? Our amazing immune system is designed to ward off dangers to our health. So, even if we ingest toxins, our bodies are designed to neutralize and eliminate them. But our immune systems have only a finite capability to fight off disease. To maintain health, it's imperative to minimize our exposure to toxins as much as possible and simultaneously boost the performance of our immune systems by the best choices of foods and beverages. To me, that means minimizing, if not avoiding, highly processed foods in supermarkets and fast food restaurants and consuming healthy foods and beverages. Two other factors that are equally important are getting sufficient amounts of physical activity or exercise and maintaining good mental health. We are not at the mercy of our circumstances. We still have good choices that we can make. Well, it's time to close the show. To all you food eaters out there in podcast land, I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you have a little more time, I'd greatly appreciate a review, good, bad, or indifferent, at the iTunes store. You can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed and their show notes at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com. Or just by Googling Food Labels Revealed, which should show up on the first results page. And, of course, you can always listen to the podcast on your smartphone or tablet by downloading a podcast app like Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or a host of others too numerous to mention. If you have a question or comment on anything about food ingredients or this podcast or just want to say hello, just drop me a line at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. That's all one phrase, foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. If you think your family, friends, coworkers, or acquaintances might be interested in this podcast, tweet or post a link through your social media outlets to get the word out. Don't forget that the references provided in this podcast are available in the show notes located at the Podbean hosting website. Lastly, I have a Facebook page that is an adjunct to the podcast. Several times per week, I post a news item related to food ingredients, processed foods, and food trends. Just search in Facebook under Food Labels Revealed Podcast. Please give it a like when you get a chance, and feel free to share the posts and comments. Next month, I return to my roots. The original idea for this show started with my curiosity about the nutritional value of cereals for kids and and what ingredients were used to make them. The first episode was called Breakfast, Kellogg's vs. Mom's Cereal. That was two and a half years ago. In the next episode, I return to re-examine breakfast cereals and search out the worst and the best 
that food companies have to offer us. Until next month, remember, if you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. The outro music piece is a clip called Sneaky Snitch, composed by Kevin McLeod.